0: For those of you that have looked into the bulletins, you probably noticed something a little bit different about this morning. Um, there's a lot of scripture at the beginning. Um, I am going to take a stab at doing a little bit larger chunk today. And the reason being is when I first jumped into the text, I started going through it and, you know, and, and breaking it up like I would normally do. And, and I realized as I was doing all of that, that we would really lose the main point of the story if we if we break it apart too much. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna actually just kind of take a step back from the text and look at this the story, uh, hopefully from what the author was trying to get us to see in writing it and and explaining everything that happened. It's one of the unique things about this text uh, is that it's a much more involved story. Have you noticed how Mark's kind of been point bump 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 done? He just does very short, very succinct. This happened. This happened. This happened. Done. Have you noticed that? Uh, he he's very, very quick, very concise in a lot of his stories. Well, in this one, we have a little bit more detail. And um, in the fact of the detail, the temptation for me was to really dig into that and spend a whole bunch of time doing detail stuff. And I don't think that that's quite what the Lord at least intended for us this week. And uh, so as we begin and, and we pray through the process, I, I remember... Um, a particular uh, event in, in my life that um, reminds me a little bit of, of, of this story. And uh, I'm not sure how many of you guys are good with people's messes. Like, it's, we're surprisingly good with our own mess. Have you ever noticed? We're just like, yeah, that's normal. And it doesn't seem to bother us. But when we run into other people's messes, it tends to be a little little messier and a little bit more difficult to mess with. And yet in this text today, we're going to actually watch Jesus engage. He's going to invite his disciples. Uh, we're, we're picking up from really the, the text of going through the storm, and he's taking his disciples on a on a little bit of a missionary journey. And we know a lot of details, but we're missing a lot of pieces, which some of those pieces drive me a little nuts. So hopefully backing up just a little bit will give us a, a better overview. Um, I was working with a, a good friend of mine. It was in Bible school. Any of you been out on um, required evangelism training where where they take you out and they give you the gospel and then they send you out into hostile areas and you're like, go get them. Any anybody done that? Okay. So if you've done any kind of Bible school, or that's that's a pretty common thing, evangelism explosion, I think, has some of that stuff. Uh, there's there's so lead the cause. There's several good groups that are really challenging people to go forward and do gospel. Well when I was in Bible school, that was just after they stopped using the stone tablets um, for some of the work that we were doing. I got to go, uh, we were doing this missionary thing, doing evangelism, and I was not doing very well in the class, just so you know. I, I, was, I was struggling. It probably was more of a rebellious issue than it really was an exercise of skill. But um, one of my good friends, he pulled up alongside of me, he goes, Hey, Shane, we're going to go down and we're going to hit, uh, we're going to go and evangelize the 11 bars on the five blocks of uh, the strip right next to our Bible school. It was 9 o'clock at night. I have to be up at 6 in the morning for memory class. Scripture memory at 6 a.m. That's not even holy. We didn't get coffee like before Scripture memory class. It was horrible. You know, I didn't go on that trip. I said no to Jerry. And for the next three months, I got to listen to him talk about what God did that night that they went out and, and took on the drunks and the, the street life of that place. I learned a lesson from that uh, a few years later. I had the opportunity to go up to um, what we called the barter fair. Uh, actually, I think they switched it to the family fun fair, um, which is a lie. It's, it, 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 it was one of the darkest places I've ever been in the middle of the night. And I was a firefighter. I was up there to help keep people safe. And I got to watch a place that during the day had family and kids running around, but at night turned into a place that looked much more like what I read in scripture from some of the very, very dark um, practices and, and um, worship events that uh, would be a, a pretty scary place to be. And, and what a difference in my life having you know 15 plus years of experience and having learned. Um, and I remember somebody asking me one time, because I, I volunteered to do it a couple of times, um, because I, the opportunity for the gospel was huge. And somebody said, why in the world would you do that? Why would you go up there? And I thought to myself, because Jesus would have been there, right? If what we see Jesus do in the text, he, he would have been there. And today, I think, has to be something similar to that for his disciples. At, at some point, they had to go, what are you doing? If my mom finds out about this. Look in Mark chapter 5. We're going to begin there this morning, and we're going to read 1 through 20. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs of man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him any more, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chain, excuse me, wrenched the chains apart, and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. I, wanna, I just want to share with you, I know from the very beginning we're going we're gonna to miss some pieces. We're not, we're not going to do the whole um, everything that's in here. For example... Um, and it, it's very interesting reading in commentaries, trying to get everybody's opinions. Uh, I had one commentator who who took this story and turned it into Satan trying to keep Jesus from getting over there. And that's what that's who caused the storm. He actually gave the storm from Mark four, uh, Mark chapter four. He gave that he credited that to Satan. And so when you start getting into commentaries, you kind of have to be careful because you can get all kinds of different views. Now, Jesus didn't give us, or the Mark didn't give us some of the details that I would like to have. Like, why did he let him go into the pigs? Why did he put up with even talking to the demons? What in the heck's going on in this process? I'm going to acknowledge to you right now, I don't have all the answers to that. There are some thoughts out there. Some people have opinions, but I really don't have a clear answer to that. I do, however, want to encourage you but if you're dealing with spiritual warfare stuff, or you think you might be, I would love for you to, to get a hold of me, call the office. Um, there's a book by a man named Carl Payne. You guys know I don't promote books. I just don't, I don't do this often, um, other than his book. But um, this book was one of the most helpful books I've had on spiritual warfare. And if you're dealing with that or interested in that, I would like to get you connected um, with this book on spiritual warfare, because there's some great resources in there. The reality is is that we know that there is a demonic activity happening here, and let's just take a second and talk through this story um, and and look at what Jesus is doing. The first thing that blows my mind is that Jesus leads his disciples into another mess. did you did you see that? So um, imagine imagine the messes that are happening right now. Uh, first of all, uh, so in this mess that he's leading into, the Jews would never have gone there, right? Uh, it's believed that this was a Gentile area of the this side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they were obviously raising a lot of pigs and had all kinds of um, other practices that were happening there. The demon-possessed man was living in the tombs, and where Jesus took his boat in was right in this area of the tombs where this demon-possessed man comes out and addresses them. And all of those things end up being a, a an unclean place for good Jewish boys to be. Can you imagine? They had to have had a conversation on the boat. Uh, hey, hey uh, Jesus, you, you know what shore that is. Uh, we know calm the wind and the waves, but you know where you're going, right? Can, can you hear the conversation? Can you imagine the discussion? They're good Jewish boys. Some of them are, are fishermen. They know not to go to that shore. Jesus takes them in. And then they meet this demon-possessed man whose life was a disaster. Did you see some of the, the things that had happened? He was no longer, they couldn't bind him anymore. They couldn't control him with chains and shackles. You know what that means? They'd been trying. Let that sink in for just a little bit. They'd been tying him up with chains and shackles. That'd been the experience of his life. He lived in the tombs because he clearly couldn't live around his family. He couldn't be around people. So he was isolated, tormented by these demons, causing him to to yell and to cut himself. Day and night he ran around and did all these things. What a disaster. What a mess. And Jesus leads his disciples right into this. I'll just be honest with you. That would scare me just a little bit. That'd be be a little intense. We should probably wrestle with that truth for just a second. What messes would Jesus lead us into? Does that even fit in your theology? Like that Jesus would take you into a mess to help somebody else out of a mess? We may have to think about that just a little bit. I want to do a little bit of a classroom thing. We see four groups. I almost said people groups, and then I realized one of them is not. But um, four groups in this segment, can you guys point them out for me? Who are the four groups that we're addressing in this text that Mark is talking about? Part of what what I do in in my Bible study process is when I'm trying to understand what's happening, I'll back out and say, who are the people involved? Who do we see? So what are the four groups? Disciples? Demons? Andre, you got one? the people of the area, and the demon-possessed man. Absolutely. So we got four different groups that are being addressed here, and I'll I'll say groups because the demons are involved. We have the disciples, we have the demons, we have the people of the area, and we have the man, the demon-possessed man. Absolutely. What we're going to take just a few minutes today is we're going to look how they responded to Christ and His interaction with them. Thought it was very interesting that in this take the disciples seem to be spectators today. Did you see that? Not a lot of not a lot of stuff from them today. I wonder if it was the fact that Jesus had just shut down the waves and the the the, 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 the raging sea, the storm that was magnificent, that they were terrified of. I wonder if it was because all that happened and they kind of went, uh, maybe we shouldn't argue with him today. Maybe maybe today's not the day to question what he's doing. I don't know, but they're very, very quiet. It appears in the story, we don't see much from them, not a lot of dialogue. Something that was really cool this week as we looked at, as as I was going through the process of looking at the, the response of the demons to Jesus. This was a little humbling for me. The text says that they fell flat on the ground in worship. Uh, it didn't say worship. But the word fall there, the root Greek word in that is worship. I, I text Tyler, one of my language buddies, I'm like, man, am I off on this? Is this translation just completely whack? Because the Greek root word here is worship. And he just texts back, he goes, nope. Okay, more please. Because <laughs> this is crazy. That is that is. I mean, what, really? And so he, he sent me back some... Some more tools on that. But the idea here is that the demons came to the presence of God and they fell flat on their face. They, they, deg- they belittled themselves or they prostrated themselves before a deity. They fell down flat. That was the posture of the man. And it was because the demons were directing him to do that. And in that moment, in that prostrate position, they actually call out who he is. Verse 7, it says, In crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? There's an acknowledgement by the demonic world of who Jesus is. And their response when they come into, into connection or into proximity with him is that they fall flat on their face before this God, before Jesus. In a posture of worship. The thing that's amazing to me, and we're not going to illustrate it today. I I thought about it, but it it just passed me. But, man, when was the last time you bowed down to something? Good Americans. When's the last time you bowed down to something? I had a good friend of mine help demonstrate this at one of our churches a while back. And I said, man, I want to bow. I'm going to bow and I want to demonstrate this, you know, I I want to do this. And he goes, no, I think you should stand up there and let me bow for you. Oh, that was horrible. But the posture of getting down on the ground and debasing ourselves before a sovereignty, before Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High God. I was wrestling with that this week going, is that my response to Jesus? Do I see him that way? We asked the question last week, is this the Jesus that we see, this meek Jesus that holds lambs and and cares for people? Because that's part, I don't know if that is. I'm not saying that that's what he looked like. Um, I'm just saying that that model, that idea is, is true about him. But for whatever reason, in this setting and in others, we'll look at one here in just a second. The demons, when they came into his presence, Fell before him in acts chapter sixteen one of my this is, can you have a favorite demon story in the bible is that a, is that okay to do i I'm not sure, so it's it's one of my it's one of my favorites because of just the process that happens in this particular setting. but the point in this is look at the title that Jesus has given here that 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 happens in this story of uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 16 through verse 18. Now, I have to confess that one of the reasons I love this story is because Paul got annoyed, and he cast out the demon in almost every other setting that we see this process happening, the people doing this are they're loving and caring for people. it's just I don't know if part of me would love to have been there just to have to see what actually happened in this process. but did you see the title that that demon possessed gal used? There's many other scriptures that actually speak of God in this context. And Jesus is being referenced in Mark as the Son of the Most High God. The God above all other gods. And this is in a Gentile area where there's worship of many other gods. Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. That's how the demons responded to Him. They pleaded for Him not to torment him. Um, other texts have more, a little bit more dialogue even in that conversation. But for our overview of the text today, it's amazing to me how often, regularly, in fact, that they fall on their face before him, but they prostrate themselves in a posture of worship before Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. How did the people respond to this process? The people of the area, they came and they heard the story and it filled them with fear, right? Do you remember fear? We talked about it last week. Mark chapter 4. The disciples were on the boat, right? Mark chapter 4, verse 40. Jesus was speaking and he said to them why are you so afraid have you still no faith and they were filled with a great fear and said to one another who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him that was the disciples response the people's response in this area they they um they decided to invite him in for dinner man come and tell us more about what you're doing Somebody, no, thank you. There's a couple that were shaking their heads like that's not what happened. What did they say? Please leave. Go away. Now I got to tell you, for the poor farmers, that was a pretty substantial. The the herdsmen watching these farmers, uh, a product, uh, two thousand pigs dying in one setting. That that's a pretty substantial financial loss. I mean, that that was a major, major um, hit to their pocketbook. And their focus and the things that they were worried about caused them to see what Jesus had done, to hear the testimony of those who had watched what had happened, the healing of the demon-possessed man, the fact that he was sitting clothed in his right mind. And they turned and said, Jesus, go away. please leave. I don't know that I would ever say that openly. But I wonder sometimes I wonder sometimes when I'm choosing to sin if that's not what my heart's really saying. Hey, do you mind looking the other way for a little bit? I know you're here because my head knows it but my heart wants something else i want to worship something else what's the demon man's the demon possessed man's response i love what he does did you catch his response he said jesus i want to go with you i see who you are i know what you freed me from and i want to be with you Very interesting thing happens right now in this text, in this story. I was running through looking at other texts, and I'm going, is this this really the first time? It's the first time. It also appears to be the only time, uh, other than when Jesus sends out his disciples, and then he tells us in Matthew, which we're going to look at in a second. But it seems to be the only time that Jesus has actually turned somebody away from following him and said, go tell everybody what I've done for you. Do you see that? He actually turns him away and says, "Go back and tell your family and friends what the Lord has done for you and how He's had mercy on you." Look in um, Mark chapter one, verse forty-four. Jesus is healing the, lems, the, the leper in Mark chapter one, verses. Uh, what is it? We do verse forty-four. And he said to him, "See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest." and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Shortly in Mark, not long uh, after where we're at now, we're going to see Jesus doing more miracles, and he's going to tell them, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Um, one of the unique things, I think, and I, again, I'm, I'm, I know God has it under control. I don't have any absolutes as to why, but it appears that as he's sharing this with his Gentile, uh, he's not as worried about his time frame in Jerusalem, I guess, getting messed up. I don't know. But he sends this Gentile man back to his family and friends and says, testify to what the Lord has done. I think it's kind of funny. Everybody else disobeyed what Jesus told them to do. Because if you read farther in Mark and if you read farther in all of the stories, they all go around running their mouths. Jesus did all this for me. woo even when he told him not to. And here, this man, this demon-possessed man, what does he do? He faithfully executes the command that God gave him. And the people marvel. We've been called to a mission. You and I have been called in Matthew 28. Uh, we're all familiar with the verse. I'm going to read it again, though, just so that we remember. It's Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. At this point in our life, we've all been giving this, given uh, the commission to go and to tell. I, I find it just amazing. Don't you think it's amazing? The, the poor demoniac, this demon-possessed man. What was his gospel? He didn't have Romans. He didn't have Ephesians. He didn't have Corinthians yet. What was his gospel? Jesus said, go and tell them what the Lord has done for you. Do you remember the mess that he was in? Do you remember the bondage that he was in? To the point... The the demons had so much possession of him, that chains and shackles couldn't hold him. He couldn't be around people. He was tormenting himself, hurting himself. Although maybe some of us aren't doing that physically, some do, but so many of us live in that bondage before Christ and the actions that we do are hurting ourselves and causing harm to ourselves, and Christ sets us free from that. The the good news of the gospel sets us free from that. So what did the demoniac have to say? He, He could go to people and say, I was in bondage, I met Jesus, and now I'm what? Free. I'm free. Complicated gospel right there. I'll bet you we could screw that one up. What if... What if that was what Christ was calling us to share? What if we just started with that? What has Christ done for you? Go and testify to people what Christ has done, the mercy that God has shown. So my last question is, what is our response to Jesus? I want to show you. I, I, I love the fact that I think sometimes the gentiles and those who are not God's people just get it better. And when they see God moving, they just seem to really figure it out. In Daniel chapter 3, we're going to read King Nebuchadnezzar's response to the fiery furnace and I, I it's just amazing to me. Starting in Daniel chapter 3 verse 26. So the king has thrown him into the fiery furnace. They wouldn't worship his idol of himself. And the three young men said that we would rather be thrown into the pit than to worship an idol and violate their relationship with God. And verse 26, this is the response of King Nebuchadnezzar. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, Catch that? I thought that was pretty cool. Come out from the fire. I thought it was just the Lord going, Yeah, don't miss that. I can work with technology. Verse twenty seven. And the satraps and the perfects and the governors and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. They didn't even have a smell of fire on their clothes. Isn't it interesting that the writer of that text references that? That's a uniquely uh, precise description. Because they would notice if it didn't smell. Somehow in that process, God showed up miraculously and redeemed them. And the king's response was, you guys serve the most high God. What what a testimony. What a response to the presence of God. You guys, I know that there's a challenge for us in this, right? Because we have the confidence to come boldly before the throne. We have the freedom as children to come in. But I really want to challenge us to think about our response to Jesus. When we see Him, when we recognize who He is, I believe that it should cause in us a posture of worship that is humble and prostrate before God. It is hard for us to do, I acknowledge that. It's super hard for me to put away my pride every single day. I know I've shared with you many stories. I'm sure more will come of of hating some of the old cars that I had to drive. And uh, I was really convicted. Fortunately, not this week particularly. It's kind of a pleasant break. Uh, but I was driving. I had this old 92 Mustang. I think Jacob has it now. Lord bless him. Um the darn thing, the, 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 the driver's door broke, so I had to get in through the passenger side. There's nothing more humiliating than be at Walmart and having to get in the passenger side of your car. Because you know there's people out there looking at them going, oh, one of those kind. Right? I know, I thought that was next. But it's so difficult for us to surrender our pride and to take a posture of worship. And yet when the demons see him, when Nebuchadnezzar sees God, when he watches him in action, when he recognizes his authority, his power in his presence, he says, that's the God most high. The demons fall on their face and they say, who are you? What do you have to do with us? Son of the God most high. What is our response to the presence of Jesus? The scriptures say that He indwells us. Everything that we do is involved in His presence. How do we worship Him? What is our posture? Ultimately, maybe we're asking Him to leave us alone. Please stop bothering me with this. I like my sins. I like my life condition and situation. Jesus invited his disciples into a mess. And it was a missionary journey. And this demon-possessed man who who, who Jews wouldn't have had any time for experiences the presence of God, the freedom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he set on a mission to testify to his friends and family what Christ, what the Lord had done for him. What a marvelous, marvelous truth. Brothers and sisters, is it not possible that part of what God is doing with you and me is He's walking us through the messes of our lives mixed up with the messes of other people's lives so that in that moment, during that time, as we are in His presence and we know who He is, that we can testify to His goodness to His mercy, to the power that He has to set us free from the bondage of sin. I believe that ultimately that is the big idea of what Mark is trying to communicate with the the readers of this day. That in the midst of all of these things, Jesus is doing this, and He's in the middle of a mess where they would never go on their own. We're going to sing a song in closing. Uh, it's called Hosanna. And I thought it was very interesting, the selection of the song. Um, the word Hosanna, we know, we, we remember hearing it when Jesus came in to Israel, uh, riding on the donkey. The people are singing Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Uh, in Latin, uh, the word actually means come and save or rescue us. Isn't that interesting? And so think about the the, the request of uh, people that are in a mess, that are in the disasters of life. Here comes Jesus, and oftentimes he's bringing us goofballs along with him because he intends for us to be loving on people in the process. Isn't it a, a tragedy that he's told us we're his body and we're going to go do it? that's that's an exaggeration it's wonderful but it's terrible at the same time I, I i would love it if the gospel was just me telling somebody and then not having to to mess with their life wouldn't it be great hey don't you know about jesus you should see it be so much easier than actually having to enter into their life i want to encourage you if if you're interested in knowing a little bit more about what it means to enter into messes of people's lives, ask some of the missionaries that we have present. They live lives where they have to sacrifice and abandon most of what we consider normal to build relationship and engage and build the friendships with the ability to have meaningful talks about the gospel and meaningfully engage in their messes, in their lives. It'd be a good discussion to have. You might go with an open hand because uh, God might ask you to give up something that you love here. What's he calling for you and for me to do? What's our response to this, God? I want to encourage you for just the next couple of minutes. We're going to bow our heads and our hearts, and we're going to just be quiet for a minute. What does it mean for you to be prostrate before God? What does it mean for you to worship God? This morning to fall on your face and take a position of lowness before the sovereign God, the most high God of the universe. Father, this morning I want to take a moment to repent of my pride and my selfishness. The difficulty of, of bending down or getting on the ground before you to, to prostrate myself before you. It may not always be in a physical form, but man, there's part of me that feels like that would help my own heart. But I know in a, in a heart condition, I know in a heart condition, I can be awful proud. And although I know you, and every time I'm in the Word, I get a bigger picture of you. And I'm so quick to go back to worshiping myself. So Lord, this morning, I want to acknowledge that I am poor at worshiping you. God, I need you to help me do that better. So, Father, even though that requires you humbling, maybe in times you breaking, Lord, that is the relationship I want to have with you. All that we would know you as the God Most High. God, transform our hearts. This week as we're in your word, this week as we're in our mess, and as you invite us into other messes so that we can be lights for your gospel, God, just transform our hearts to be worshipers of you in every moment of every day. That this would not be our time of worship every week. It would be one of. It would be part of a lifestyle of worship that exalts the King of Kings when we take out the trash, that glorifies God when we recognize His presence in the middle of a conflict, when our hearts are torn for those who are lost, for our neighbors who have no idea who you are. You've called us to be that light. Let us be worshipers of you every day. Teach us what it means to worship you. To God be the glory.